Good morning, church family. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? All right, amen. Well, the title of the message this morning is You Be the Light. Now you be the light. And I want to talk about having an impact. I want to talk about making a difference. I want to talk about making a difference in ways that maybe we anticipate and in ways that we maybe don't anticipate. And I think I'm not alone when sometimes you question, you know, does what I do make a difference? Does what we do make a difference? And you look around and, you know, you look in the world and it's easy to think, what, what kind of an impact can I make? And yet we know we're called to be light. We're going to look at that this morning, light. And you know, how, no matter how insignificant you think a little light is, when you're in a dark room, no matter how dark it is, no matter how massive the darkness, a little light illuminates everything. Jesus came to be the light. Dr. Jane Goodall once said, what you do makes a difference. How you live your life, it makes a difference. The only thing you have to decide is what kind of a difference do you want it to make? Jesus, in John 7, verse 37 it says, in the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so this morning we want to talk about that. We want to talk about what life looks like as an overflow of love for Jesus. We want to talk about being light, about having an impact about making a difference. Amen? So why don't you take a moment and greet somebody near you, and then we'll pray and we'll continue. Father, we are here in your presence, listening. And so God, what you do, would you do what only you could do? Would you speak to our hearts deeply to each one of us, God? You know that the baggage we came in here with, God, and you promised freedom. You promised that we don't need to walk out the same way we came in, with the heaviness and the burdens. You invite us to come to you to drink from that living water that not only causes us to never thirst, but it overflows out of us. And so, Father, we want to live lives that honor you, and we need you, God. So help us. Help us now. Help us to learn from your word and help us to apply it to our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, like the wolves, followers of Christ should dramatically change the landscape, should dramatically change the world around them. Sometimes, I mean, there were anticipated uh, consequences. There were things that they expected to happen. And so sometimes in life and ministry, there are things we expect to happen, but it can get discouraging because oftentimes we can minister and, and we just don't see the results. We can, we can speak life, we can, we can be faithful in prayer, and we just don't get to see maybe the results we want. And it's hard to faithfully plant seeds, to trust that God's going to do what God's going to do, but that's what we're called 
to do together. So you've heard me say before, I ask, what can I do? And it seems like not much at all. But the question isn't what I can do. It's what he can do, and it's what we can do together as his church. You're going to see in a moment, the scripture says, more than he did. And we're going to see that. We're going to look at that. But in a, in a youth group lesson, I remember my wife and I years ago did youth group a long, long time ago. First ministry, we started together when we were engaged. We weren't even married when we did youth group at a church. But there was a lesson, and it said, you ask the kids, are you a thermostat or are you a thermometer? Are you a thermostat or are you a thermometer? A thermometer, what does a thermometer do? It just sort of gauges the temperature in the room. It just sort of tells you what's, what's going on. And I've known some people, and they were, you know, good people, friends of mine, but they sort of changed. Whatever group they were in, they sort of just adapted to the group. If it was dark, they were dark. If it, you know, it was just kind of, they, they, they were just a thermometer. Or you can be a thermostat. What does a thermostat do? A thermostat sets the conditions. It changes everything around it. And as Christians, not just pastors and leaders, not theologians and scholars, but Christ followers, people who have the light of Jesus in them, are called to radically change the world around them. See, you can't help but, but see the beauty and the complexity in nature and to see that and appreciate the system, and the creator, and just how beautiful it is. Life giving life. Jesus didn't just come to make disciples. Jesus didn't just come so we could all say, hey, we're disciples of Jesus. Let's just huddle together and keep the darkness at bay. Let's just make an us and them scenario where, you know, we're, we're his disciples. We've, we've, re we've received hope and eternal life and some victory, and we know the truth, and so we're going to come together and be his disciples Jesus created disciples who make disciples. Jesus created us to be light in the darkness. And our, and our lights can get dim. I mean, when we gather together, we can be encouraged by one another. In fact, you've heard me be, before say, like, this is not church. This is preparation for church. We had those signs made. As you leave, you'll see them, and it says, now go be the church. We gather together to worship him. We gather together to, to celebrate together, to fellowship, to have that communion and community, to learn from his word, to do what? To go and be the church. And so it's this idea of gather, scatter, right? We gather together to be encouraged to then go do the work of ministry, to then go be light. And I don't know about you. I mean, I love being around God's people. I love that. But you know when I come most alive in ministry? As when I'm talking to somebody who's struggling, who's hopeless, who's ready to give up, who just feels like there's just no way, and the light comes on, and you see that glimmer of hope. I mean, man, when that happens, my light gets brighter, and I recognize that Jesus is doing what Jesus does, right? So you say, well, Pastor Brian, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't, like Moses, I can't, I'm not good enough, I can't. Okay, good. That's fine. That's a good start. But he can, and he will. We said last week when our missionaries are here, you don't ask, oh, I don't know if I could do that. Well, you're not called to do that. Can you do what you're called to do? Yes, absolutely. So the question is, is not whether or not you're called to do what somebody else is doing. We can look at other people. We can be encouraged. We should be encouraged. Oh, look at the impact they're making. 
But we shouldn't, that shouldn't, we shouldn't look at that and be like, I can't make that, that kind of an impact, so I'm going to do nothing. No, we should say, man, that motivates me. Because you know what, the, you know what, throughout the Bible, throughout the flawed, very flawed characters of the Bible, I mean, the people writing the Bible don't make themselves look very good, right? So you know what, you know what the consistent thing is in all the flawed characters and all the big mistakes? It's Jesus. is the Spirit of God. Is a heart for the lost. God created the world and everything in it to work perfectly. And when the light is gone from an area, darkness will destroy and distort and cause chaos. And so the light, the church, the hope of the world ought not to retreat, but instead go forward in his power to do what he's not just called, not just suggested. It's not, it's not the greatest suggestion it's the greatest commandment to do what he's called us to do, to be light. And so Genesis 1.3 says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God created, and it was good. We see God creating, and it was good, and then it was good, and then it was good. And only when we're created, the culmination of his creative efforts, every single human being creating the image of God, does he say now that it's very good. The Bible says that we're the apple of his eye. And Zephaniah, it says he dances over us with joy. And I've said before that it's easy for me, and maybe you've thought this, but there are times in my life where I've thought, why would there be a heaven for a guy like me? You know, you ever think that? Like, I don't know. If I was God, I don't, I don't deserve heaven. I mean, we're right, and theologically we understand that, right? But then, you know, I look at my kids when they were younger. Sometimes when they're older, I recognize there probably shouldn't be a heaven for them either, right? But no, I'm kidding. No, but when they're young, right? You look at you and you think, there should definitely be a heaven for them. And here's the thing, right? That's how God looks at us. That's how he looks at us. It's hard to receive that because I think sometimes we, we, we beat ourselves. We're so tarnished, you know? But God looks at us with that love. God sent Jesus because he loved us. Not so we can have a slightly better life. Not so we can achieve the American dream and add a little Jesus to the side so that Christ can be everything. The fulfillment of every desire we have. Our job is to just be wholly satisfied in Jesus. That's what gives God the most glory is when we find full satisfaction in the relationship and the person of Jesus Christ. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. We see in Genesis, he goes on to create mankind in verse 31. In the image of God, and he called creation very good. But then Synax enters the picture. And I've said, you know, theologians argue whether we inherited or committed sin. And I always like to say, rest assured, if I didn't inherit sin, I soon would have committed it, right? 
It's just we're born under the curse of Adam. It's part of our nature. We can't fathom. We get glimpses of what life's like with, in the spirit, in relationship with Jesus. We get glimpses of that. But we can't fathom what life was like when there was before sin, when we were in perfect fellowship, perfect communion. Can you imagine being alive and having no lack? I've preached before this theme that we all want to be fully known and fully loved, but we think they're, they're opposite. They're mutually exclusive. If somebody fully knows me, they can't possibly fully love me. But do you imagine being in a relationship with you are both fully known and fully loved by God? See, we look at sin in the garden, and we look at, we look at right away that, that affected our relationship with God, and that's true, it did. That affected our relationship with God. But you know what the, the first reaction to sin is? You know what immediately takes place? We have identity crisis we realize that there's something wrong with me. And that's what happened. You read in Genesis, it says they were ashamed, so they hid. The fundamental difference that happens when our relationship with God is severed, when that intimacy is no longer there, is we recognize there is something wrong with us. And we can spend our whole lives, and we can read books, and we can talk to doctors, and we can take pills, and we can be in relationships, and we can accomplish goals, and we can stack money, and we can do all these things. And no matter how much we do, And no matter who we know, and no matter how much we know, deep down inside, we still fundamentally feel like, I'm still ashamed. There's still something wrong. There's still something missing. C.S. Lewis, who wrote Chronicles of Narnia, was was an Oxford and a Cambridge theologian, no slouch, he was a brilliant guy. And for all his intellectual arguments for God's existence to him, the most compelling was our appetite for God. The most compelling is that every single human being deep down inside longs for that relationship. Longs for that connection with our Heavenly Father. And so we no longer have eternal life and we no longer have intimacy with God until Christ comes. That's the good news of the gospel. That he didn't just come to give us a little bit of a better life. He came to be life. He came to be light. And so the good news of the gospel is that Christ made a way to restore our intimacy with God. And rather than hide, now we can enter into his presence. And rather than die, now we can live eternally. I think of Peter, right? And like after he messed up, like, because what do we do? I mean, when I mess up, like, I, you know, you want to hide or you want to be like, man, I'm such a disappointment to God. But Peter's relationship with Jesus was such was that after he messed up, after he even denied he knew Jesus, can you imagine that? Like walking with Jesus, you know, seeing the miracles and being like, I don't even know who that guy is. What are you talking about? I don't know him. No, no, you with him. No, no, it wasn't me. And then seeing Jesus and recognizing it's him, and instead of wanting to hide in shame, he knew who God was. He had that, that intimate desire to just be in his presence, and what does he do? The, the Bible says he's in a boat, and he just throws his clothes off, doesn't even wait for the boat to get to the shore, jumps in the water, because he has to get to Jesus. What a beautiful picture of an understanding of God's love. doesn't matter what you did. doesn't matter what I did. Your sin, your struggle, your past isn't more powerful than the blood of Jesus. And we say, well, you know, I can't. And I always, I always had a problem, and I'm not picking on the recovery community here. I've been in recovery for, I don't know, a long time. 
And I have no problem admitting, everybody knows my, my issues in my past, but I never understood to stand up in a room and say, hi, my name is Brian, I'm an alcoholic, or I'm a drug addict, or I'm a this, or I'm a that. Because I'm not that. I'm a person who has that in my past. I've struggled with drugs and alcohol, but I'm a, I'm a new creation. I'm a child of God. And so I don't want to identify with that. that. But, you know, the wonderful thing is those things that we think, well, I could never be used of Jesus. I could never be light because my past is so dark because, because I was this and I was this and I was this. And those are the things God wants to use. Those are the things that God wants to redeem to give himself glory, to uniquely use your past. Ministries were created like that. One of the best, I'm taking a class right now about the evidence for the resurrection. One of the best evidences for the, evidence for the resurrection is, is Paul and Peter. Uh, Paul and James, rather. People who weren't believers. And so the most critical scholars, they say, well, Jesus lived. Jesus definitely taught. He was crucified and he was buried, but he stayed in the grave. Well, how do you account for the radical transformation of Paul and of James? who were living life one way and had an encounter with the risen Jesus and spent the rest of their lives proclaiming that, that message. See, when, when we meet Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. Let you be light. Christ inside us isn't just for us. Let me say that again. Christ inside us isn't just for us, right? Turn to somebody saying, say, Jesus isn't just for me. Go ahead. There we go. It's a little early still, so I don't want to fall asleep. Like I said a little while ago, we're not just called to be disciples of Jesus. We're called to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. We're called to change the world system for Christ. And those things that we often think are the things that hold us back are the very things that God says, no, I want to use, I want to use that. I don't know if any of you know who Chuck Colson is, but he was one of Nixon's, one of Nixon's most powerful men. Ended up going to jail for the Watergate scandal. That could have defined his life. I mean, he had reached the echelons of power. Wealthy, powerful, had the president's ear, and he went to jail. And that could have been the end. Could have been like, man, that was a fall from grace. And he got saved. He, he, he met Jesus, and he spent the rest of his life, what he's known for now more than anything, is worldwide prison ministry, led tens of thousands, if not more, people to Jesus. Something happened that changed the whole trajectory of his life, and it involved his worst behavior, his worst activity, a public sin, and he gave it to Jesus, and Jesus took it and redeemed it and used it. And he wants to take your sin and my sin and take it and redeem it and use it. And ministries are born and lives are changed. It's not up to you to figure the whole plan out. It's up to you to take a step of faith. One step of faith. And sometimes all you see, sometimes you don't even see enough light to take one step. And sometimes in his grace, he gives you enough light and you take that one step. And I can tell you, as sure as I'm standing here, I have a lot of regrets in life. I have a lot of things I did I wish I didn't do. But oh, following Jesus has been the sweetest journey. The most beautiful journey. And most of the time, 
What's beautiful about it is that it looks nothing like I thought it was going to look. But he's so good. And he can be trusted. See, we understand that the light was brought into the world. God said, let there be light. And then in the scripture, it says, Jesus came as the light. John 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. It's deeply theological there. It's the introduction of the Trinity. It's the introduction of God being eternal. It's saying he existed in relationship, and nothing existed before him. And then it says this in verse 4. In him was the life. And the life was the light of men. And then one of my favorite scriptures of all time. Verse 5, John 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Some translations say the darkness, darkness did not extinguish it. The darkness did not overcome it. The darkness didn't have a category for it. It didn't make any sense, but there was no denying. It had an impact It has an eternal impact. And the darkness can't fathom the truth, the power of that impact. In John 8, 12, Jesus spoke saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now that's a promise. And I don't care what you came in here and what you thought, and I don't care what you feel, and I don't care what people have told you, but here's what Jesus says. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, will have direction, will have clarity, will have life. And we receive that light. And we should be radically and forever changed by that light. And then something's supposed to happen. Something's supposed to happen. There's there's a shift See, God said, let there be light. Then Jesus came and said, I am the light. I'm the source of life. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. I am a culmination of truth and justice and perfection. I am holy. I am everything you've, you've searched for. I am the satisfaction to every longing and every desire in your heart. I am he. And then he says something radical, because that we sort of get. God said, let there be light, and then Jesus said, he is the light. And we're kind of all good. So far, the church, everybody's tracking with that. But then Jesus says this in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. You. You and me. He doesn't ask you first if you feel like being the light. He doesn't say some of you. So if you're reflecting the light of Christ, you are the light of the world. Something changes. You receive the light to then be the light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world now. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put her under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus is saying, your light should be illuminated. Why are you hiding it? Why are you dimming it? 
Why are you allowing the darkness outside and the darkness inside to overcome the light you have in Christ? Jesus is saying, don't do that. You are light. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it in its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, listen to verse 16. He's talking to every single one of us. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, let your light shine before others so everybody can talk about how cool you are. Let your light shine before others so people can see your talent and ability. Let your light shine before others so everybody can say, I want to be just like Pastor Jamie. Let your light shine before others so that you're living in such a way that people see you and they glorify their Father in heaven. They recognize Jesus in you. See, sometimes I wish, I wish that you knew, and I'm going to pick on Jamie too, I wish that you knew who we were before. Because I think, I think sometimes the, the power of God, the, the fact that we are trophies of his grace and mercy. People say, do you believe in miracles? I'm like, believe in miracles? I want to talk to my doctor. I am a miracle. And I don't say that, like, it has nothing to do with Jamie and I. In fact, that's the whole point. It is entirely despite us. If there were, if there were PR people up there and Jesus was going, I don't know, these guys look good. There. Everybody up there would have been like, no, no, those, did you not get the memo? Those guys both, both each probably have six months left to live. Do not use them. They are in darkness. They have no idea what's going on. The only influence they've ever had is to influence people for bad. And Jesus said, no, that's exactly what I'm looking for. People to whom he can say, I want to use you. I want to change your life. I want to do something different so you are entirely unrecognizable. We are nowhere near the men that we want to be, that we need to be. This is not a look at Brian. This is look at Jesus. And look at what Jesus has done and a couple knuckleheads. And I can tell you, because you might be here and you're like, well, you know, Pastor Brian, I'm kind of bad. I was worse. When, Jesus, when Paul says, I was the chief sinners, he's not, he's not, you know, just bragging. Back in the day, we always brag. I was worse. Some of you guys knew me, but most of you didn't. We were worse. He was worse than I was. I mean, but <laughs> true story. There was no reason anybody would have looked at us and saw potential but God. And you know what it took? Everything to be stripped away. All the, all the fake houses that we built, all the, all the idols, all the fake identities for the mask to come off. And for us to be like, man, this is, we are just done with life. And for Jesus to go, and now I will rebuild. He wants to do that with every single one of us. So he can say, receive the light, but don't just stop there. Be the light. Allow my light to flow through you. Here's something I want to share with you. It is okay to love everybody radically. It is okay to love everybody radically every human being created in the image of God. You don't have to agree that everybody's decisions make sense. You don't have to agree. You don't, it doesn't mean that you co-sign certain behaviors. 
God created us and he wants us to flourish. He wants what's best for us. Jesus in his ministry met people where they were. He wasn't 50% grace and 50% truth. He was 100% grace and 100% truth. And he went out of his way to remove obstacles to meet people whose society said where there was no hope for him, who were the least of these, the worst of the worst. People say God doesn't play favorites. Yes, he does. He favors the outcasts. He's always favored the outcast because that's what brings him glory. When people that the world say, you can't do anything with him, and God goes, watch me. I'm preaching now. You can't be in love with Jesus. You can't spend time with him and spend all your other time hating everybody. You want to hate something, hate sin. More specifically, hate your own sin. You want something to hate, hate sin. And not everybody else's sin, because we're always good at that. Looking at everybody else. You see those worldly people? They behave like worldly people. I get that. I'm concerned with people who have the light who walk in darkness, not people who don't have the light. See, John uses a lot of dualism. There's two worlds, there's flesh and spirit, there's dark and light. So for John, one who is a follower of Jesus has been restored in a sense to a pre-fall state. And now we can walk in the light and not be a slave to sin. In other words, now there's hope. Now we have the ability. Before Jesus intervened, before he opened my heart and my eyes, I didn't have the ability to walk in the light. My default was always the wrong thing. It was amazing how good I was at doing the wrong thing. And people will ask me and say, you know, sometimes, Pastor, I I don't know if I'm saved. And I'll be like, well, as evidence that God is working in your heart, unregenerate people don't consider the state of their souls. When I was out there in darkness, I wasn't like, I wonder if I'm, no. I didn't care. It was dark. There was no glimmer of light until that scripture that we read that I love. The light shined in the darkness. It didn't matter how dark it was. It didn't matter how dark my heart was. The light shined through. There was some way that Jesus penetrated, and it was undeniable, and I couldn't understand it, and I couldn't comprehend it, and it couldn't be extinguished, and it grew. But you and I, we have to choose to walk in that light. Jesus, life, is the light of men. And we get to heaven because of what Jesus did, not because of what we do. We gotta know the word of God. We gotta worship the creator, not just the creation. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God in the flesh. Light gives direction. It allows you to see God and Jesus, man, fully God and fully human. Everything depends on this. Label, uh, verse 5 can be labeled, life, uh, light is triumphant over darkness. That Lord Jesus came to teach an ignorant and wicked world. It was always this way where some people received the light and some people denied it. It was this way when he sent his prophets. It was this way during his entire ministry. There was an effort to enlighten men and that light struggling to penetrate a thick, dense cloud 
and a few rays pierce through. Matthew seven thirteen through 14, Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and wide is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who enter it. In other words, there's a lot of people walking a certain way. But watch how you live. See what kind of decision you make. Verse 14, Jesus says, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and few find it. Jonathan Edwards made some resolutions, and his first resolution is, I will live for God. And we're all kind of right there with him. But then his second resolution is this, and if nobody else does, I still will. That makes it a little tougher, doesn't it? makes it a little tougher, and that's what Jesus is saying here. It's like, there's always going to be a wide road. Everyone's going to co-sign. Everyone's going to understand. But narrow, narrow is the way that leads to life. You know, Jesus said, he is the way that leads to life. I am the light of the world. What if I told you, what if we started this, this sermon this morning, and I said, you're going to do better things than Jesus? What if I looked at you and I said, Max, y'all can do greater things than Jesus? I mean, maybe you believe that, but no. (laughs) Paul, you're going to do better things than Jesus. Tom, you, y'all can do better things than Jesus. Amen, brother, right? And we'd say, I don't know, that doesn't doesn't make me, I don't know. It seems, all right, well, don't believe me then. John 14, 11. Jesus says, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you don't believe my words, look at my life. Look at my actions. Look at my miracles. Look at the resurrection. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. You know what Jesus is saying? That when he was here in human form, he was still in one place at one time. And there are billions of self-professed Christians that are called to be Jesus and are called to be light and are called to have an impact and are recipients of the Spirit, which is his promise. Are we living like that? We're not even comfortable with the idea, are we? And yet Jesus says, my light in you, my spirit in you, my power in you is going to enable you to do greater things than I did. To have a bigger impact, to cover more territory, to be the church. Verse 13, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And then he says this in verse 15 because we kind of don't understand that. And he says, if you love me, keep my commands. And that is not just a statement about following rules. If you love me, keep my commands. You know what Jesus is saying? If you really love me, because we say we love everything. I love this, I love that, I love this. We all love Jesus. Amen. Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll recognize that like a good parent, I'm I'm an imperfect dad. My kids aren't here to testify that, but if they were were here, they would tell. 
But I, when I set rules, when I set guidelines and parameters, it is not to hurt my children. It is not to limit them. It is because I want them to flourish. I want them to do the best they can. Those limits are set out of love. Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will recognize that any instruction, that any command is for your benefit. Jesus is saying this, if you love me, I'm asking you to trust me. If you love me, I'm asking you to have an active faith to walk in that love. Don't just say you love me. Live it out. It's not just about keeping a set of rules. It's about recognizing God's love for us. It's about recognizing that Jesus didn't die. He didn't go to the cross and die so we can have a slightly better life. He went to the cross and died so he could have life. The same idea, John 16, it says, all this I have told you so you will not fall away because we get discouraged, right? And he talks about what will happen. They'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the times come when people will kill you and think they're offering, offering a sacrifice to God. That's happened. We've seen that happen. Back in John 1, verse 9, it says this, the true light, that gives light to everyone, not just some. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God not born of natural descent or of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus talks about believers passing from darkness to light. John twelve thirty six. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. See, when you believe in Jesus, not only do you leave the darkness and enter the light, but you join the family of light. You become children of the light. You are the church together to do God's work and God's will. The Holy Spirit through Christ comes into our lives as the word of God is spoken and Jesus continues to build his church. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. All of the New Testament can be broken down into three major themes. The first is the Messiah has come. We talked about that. The light has come. Jesus has come. That's the first great theme. The first great theme is the culmination of all of the Old Testament scriptures of Jesus, the promised Messiah. He has come. The self-revelation of God to the world through his chosen people, Israel. And the second great theme of the New Testament is we're called now to become one people for God to gather together, and our identity is no longer just as individuals, but collectively, you see it in the book of Acts. It says they were together, they had everything in common, they gave to everyone as they had need. People in the early days, they didn't read scriptures and say, what is God saying to me? That's a very Western view. They, scriptures were never read in, what is God saying to me? I'm not saying that it doesn't have an application and it doesn't speak to us directly. I'm just saying for a long, long time, that wouldn't have been the first thing that was thought. The first thing that would have been thought is, what is God saying to us, his people? 
And then how do I apply it individually and collectively? But we're so individualized that it's, what does this say to me? And we forget the we. It makes it easier to divide. And the final theme, that third theme, is changing the world together for God. That we're not only called to believe as individuals in Christ and to come together collectively as his chosen people, but to change the world, to be light, to change that world system. Jesus split history in half. He should split our lives in half. With the woman at the well, somebody who who society had discarded, who thought that was less than, who went to visit the well as a Samaritan and as a prostitute, the lowest person in that society trying to hide out, trying to make sure she was going to go to the well when nobody else was there. And you know what Jesus did? He went out of her way to meet her because he had an appointment because he wanted to change her life. And he didn't care about her past. He was looking toward her future. And so you're here not because somebody invited you. Not because you just stopped in for a visit. You're here because Jesus has gone out of his way to remove obstacles because he wants to meet with you. And you get to decide who he is. And you get to decide if you walk out of here the same way you came in. Or if you give your life to him. And the life he gives back to you, I promise you, as sure as I'm standing here, is so much better than any life you could have imagined. See, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, and I'm going to close with this. Paul's going to talk about his passion to do whatever it takes. And he says, though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so I might win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not myself being under the law, I live that way that I might win those who are under the law. To those without the law, I lived as without the law, though not being without the law, but under the law of Christ that I might win those without the law. To the weak I become weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that by all means I might win some. Paul said, I don't want to create obstacles. Jesus said, I don't want to create obstacles. I want to remove them. I want to stand firm on the exclusivity of Jesus and the inclusivity of the invitation to all. Paul said, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I want to be all things to all people that I might win some. I want to be light in the darkest places that people would come to know Jesus and receive life. And so as we close this morning, the altars are open. Take your time. Worship the Lord. Whatever you have that you're holding on to, I promise that when he takes things, he replaces them with better things, greater things, spiritual gifts and blessings. Don't rob yourself of the joy of Christ by holding on to a cheap substitute. I pray that we leave here changed this morning. Amen.